Hey everyone, welcome to What's the Why podcast with Tiago, Nick and Max. Join us on a perpetual pursuit of knowledge where we chat about the why behind all intriguing things happening on this rock called Earth. Hello everyone. So today the topic that I'm bringing is uh, when speaking about privileges, what comes to mind is always male privilege or white privilege. But one that is often unspoken about is pretty privilege, the privilege of being good looking. So have you guys ever thought about this? Have you ever considered about how privileged you would be if you were good looking? Oh, 100%, right? Like you, you don't good understand looking. the joke. It was like a little stab if you were good looking. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. You're making so much fun of us. Max, Max has no idea what you're talking about, Tiago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so far from that standard. I don't even know. I can't even imagine it. I lack the imagination to think I'm pretty. <laughs> no, but um, I, I, I've read a couple of, I haven't read it, but I've heard a couple of articles like that talking about attractiveness um, being, you know, a, much more impactful on your, um, your ability to convince people. Yeah. Was yeah. the measure? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but before we dive into what privilege, to this privilege, let's tackle first what is beauty and is it socially constructed or innate? So the concept of beauty is, or being good looking is actually quite generalized. Uh, one of the main factors to be considered uh, attractive is a symmetrical face. So if your right side looks identical to your left side, you will be considered uh, good looking, even if you have average uh, attributes. Even uh, when I say average attributes, I'm saying uh, even if your the attributes on your face are common to hundreds of millions of people, you will be considered attractive if the right side is similar to the to left side. That is quite interesting. We, we always thought that we had to be blonde with green eyes or blue eyes to be considered uh, good looking, but in fact, it's just have two eyes pointing forward. <laughs> <With some action>. <laughs> <laughs> that was harsh. <laughs> um, that, apparently, that's also what determines uh, predatory animals. Um, so like, uh, what was the example? I, I went on a hike in uh, Africa and they said that elephants freeze when animals that stare directly at them um, do, do that because like herbivores has, have eyes on either side. That's, not, that's how you know the difference between predators and, and, and prey. So okay. uh, maybe cool. that ties into, you know, the more attractive men, they say on, on average when they did a test, like when they, uh, they asked women if they would want to marry a man versus have like, a, just a relationship, a fleeting relationship, whatever the definition is, they tended they tended to pick the men with tighter features and sharper features, like how you know you one would say like a sexier person versus a a more I don't know whatever like a handsome or or, 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 or cute looking person, like the guys with eyes closer together, more centered onto the face, were seen as more yeah. No, no, no. That's absolutely correct. So the the distance from the the, the eyes from one to to the other is very important. Obviously, you don't want to look like a hammer shark where the eyes are like fifty centimeters apart. But if they are balanced, that it's uh, quite symmetrical and quite considered and quite attractive. Cool. Uh, so, is beauty socially constructed or does it come naturally? What do you guys think? I think it's constructed. Look, look at what you just said. 
green eyes and blonde. That's that's one part of the world. Yeah. The, the answer is actually both. But it's both. So there's a psychologist called Judith Langlois from the University of Texas, and she she gathered like uh, she gathered um, children and babies um, from the age two months to four months. And what she did with these subjects, she presented two pictures: one picture with uh, good-looking, good-looking people, attractive people, and another picture unattractive people. So both babies and young children, they were mesmerized with the attractive people. They stared at those pictures at the attractive. The attractive people picture way longer than the unattractive uh, people's picture. So this indicates already that there's um, there's an innate uh, in, innate ability to to perceive beauty. It's quite interesting. Quite so interesting. babies ignore you. You're ugly, dude. Once I, I was a swimming teacher, and once I grabbed a kid and looked at my face, he started crying. I had immediately <laughs> to put him to another teacher. I'm sure that had nothing to do with the fact that you were in a swimming pool. He was probably in his costume, and you grabbed him. I mean, <laughs> you can tell that story. Nick is there waving his hands like, "Oh, guys, whoa, this is going, this is getting recorded." <laughs> no, you told the other this teacher. Is, this is not legally approved. <laughs> no, no, grab I was a swimming teacher. No. I had to grab him. <laughs> That's a terrible difference. I was a swimming teacher. I had to grab him. No, you, you can just shout at him like every other swimming teacher. No, it was, it was. What were you doing? Taking the pool cleaner and grabbing him while he's mid-stroke? Like, stop! Stop! It was a baby. It was a baby, dude. It was like three or four years old. So he couldn't even swim. I was just teaching, teaching him how to kick his legs. Were you grabbing him and then after telling him, did you let him jump back in the water or did you throw him? I threw him, obviously. That's the funny thing. <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> Okay, so carry on. Cool. So there, there, there's another study that proves the contrary. So there's a study co- uh, made by Corin Apicella, a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, and she she wanted to understand if beauty was socially constructed. So she grabbed, she grabbed. There I am with ga- grabbing. <laughs> she gathered, uh, <laughs> she gathered a group of uh, British people, and she then gathered a group of Hadza people. So Hadza are a hunter-gatherer tribe from ten- uh, Tanzania. That obviously they are not they're not exposed to our Western concept of what beauty is. So she showed again two pictures, one picture with an average of five uh, European faces and five uh, has the faces. And then another picture with 20, uh, with an average of 20 European faces and then 20 hands of faces. Funny enough or interesting enough, both groups selected the, twi- the picture with the 20 hands of faces or the 20 uh, European faces as the most attractive, indicating immediately that there's... Um, the more average and more symmetrical your face will be, the more beauty or the more beautiful you will be considered to be. And then the Europeans considered both Hazdas and Europeans as attractive, and the Hazdas considered only Hazdas to be attractive. So they, they looked at the Europeans and went, mm, that's not really my flavor. So it immediately mm. says that because they weren't ever exposed to Europeans and to our concepts of beauty, that they found their concepts of beauty the only ones to be true. Quite interesting, no? Right. But is our beauty standard nowadays being manufactured by other people? No, for sure. Obviously, it's influenced. Obviously, it's influenced by the movies, influenced by magazines, influenced by by fashion. It's influenced by everything. It's influenced by by being globalized by the by the the, the shared experiences that we have with other with other nations. That's why these British people were were looking at others and considering them to be attractive, and that's why because the others were never exposed to us, never never exposed to. European faces, and if exposed to that concept of beauty, that's why they said, mm, 
that's not really my cup of tea. Is that a is that an agreed upon theory, yep. or is that like from this research? Because huh. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm just questioning it. You know, like it's an open question. Um, because if that is the case, that'd be really interesting. But then the idea would be if you're not, if you haven't been exposed to it, then you wouldn't find it attractive. I, I don't. I, does that mean that then the international markets, like the places where you can get like more access to internet, et cetera, you're more likely to find everyone attractive? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, it sounds a bit like could, there could be a loophole there. But anyways, I, I just, I was, I was thinking of another example. Wouldn't tattoos be a pretty good example of some, like a new taste? Because that, you know, from what I can see, it's only really become this popular in the last two decades let's say two three decades you know like especially sleeves and stuff like that and now it's become like a bit of a sex symbol if you look at all the um movies and you look at like instagram models and stuff like that you know like the the the, the tattoos have become a big thing completely socially constructed yeah i understand yeah. i agree with you 100 <clears throat> percent. so anyways the the whole thing that you were reading into was the privileged side of being considered beautiful yeah exactly so this this, this is a fact that has been long acknowledged by economists. People that are considered attractive earn for, for higher wages than people that are not considered attractive. Doing, doing, the same, doing the same kind of work. So in jobs where attractive, attractiveness wouldn't seem to matter, like, oh, no, in jobs where attractiveness seems to matter, like sex work or entertaining or, or retail or even beauty, obviously beauty is, is rewarded. But beauty, um, beauty is also uh, is also rewarded in unexpected fields. For example, American footballers that are considered attractive earn way bigger salaries and are sponsored way more than uh, athletes with similar physical capabilities and skills that are considered less attractive. How how did they measure that? Sorry, <laughs> how how did they measure that? Uh, <laughs> Heat magazine. <laughs> Dude, are, are they, polls. It's insane. Cristiano, it, it, it is insane. So Cristiano Ronaldo, really good-looking guy. He's the he's one of the most the, the biggest paying athlete in the world, and his his sponsors represent most of his earnings. And as well, his Instagram likes uh, not likes followers. He has two hundred and twenty-two million followers on Instagram. I'm, I'm, if then you look at other players. Uh, that are not as good looking, you would you wouldn't see as much as as followers as well, and the sponsors wouldn't sponsor you as much. I don't know if it, if I'm just giving my opinion here, but it it seems to correlate to what we are seeing in the market. Well, sponsorships make sense, right? I mean, that's that seems like something everybody would nod their head to because you need to be on the cover of pictures, you need to look good with a lot of the clothing items. It's, you know, like for Nike and these guys to sponsor you, yeah, your body needs to look good. <laughs> the, same, the same applies to CEOs. So this, the Social Science Research Network applied, oh, did a research in 2016 about CEOs and their salaries. So apparently the, the, the CEOs that were considered attractive earned a higher pay than the CEOs that are considered unattractive. I read something about that in, in terms of the diff, like they try to break down what could be the reason. And um, one of the factors could be confidence. So in general, you could be a more confident person. And when you're confident, you convey things with a little bit more... Um, um, yeah, you're more convincing. Basically. That's exactly that's exactly one of the reasons, or the main reason. So, <clears throat> attractive people possess way more confidence than uh, than less attractive people, yeah. and this confidence always for employers always seems that they are going to produce more, they are going to increase sales, they are going to increase business. 
Well, especially as a CEO, right? You're representing the company a lot. So you probably wouldn't help if you look like a foot. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. There's also a survival aspect on this. Um, our immune system, for example, that for survival, uh, for survival methods or for survival uh, aspects, kind of repelled us to or made it disgusting, uh, ugly buildings, ugly animals, and as well, ugly people. It's kind of harsh what I'm saying, but I read this in, a, in an article. Um, so what, whatever was ugly, our immune system during the century that we evolved, our immune system was saying that that's dangerous, that might be either poisonous, that might be either contagious, keep away. So people with skin lesions, uh, terrible looking buildings, uh, ugly animals, all of that kind of creates an, an kind of a sense of repulse from us that indicates that uh, there's some danger in there. So maybe this replicates now nowadays to uh, to our society, and that's why we can we kind of avoid unattractive people and focus more on attractive people. It's a it's a dark it's a dark thought to close on, but but it, it kind of makes sense just to prove that as well. So ugly animals are the ones that get less um, less. Donors, how do you say? Uh, they, uh, Mates. Mates. No, no, no. So when, whenever you want to don something, I'm confusing with Portuguese. So <laughs> whenever you want to save animals and you want to yeah. donate, donate oh, money, oh, yes. oh, oh, so yeah. Ugly, yeah, yeah, yeah. ugly animals get less money than, than better looking animals, than sweet people animals. Get, but people get so uncomfortable when you talk about this. And then the moment you try to align anything that might have something to do with animals to humans, people are like, oh, my God, this is, this is terrible. You know, like we like cute puppies, but don't for a second think we only like cute kids. And, and as terrible as that is, I've read a couple of, yeah, a couple of articles which talk about that. And it says, yeah, of course, you obviously are going <clears> to <throat> adopt a kid that you think is going to look good on like family photos and stuff like that now, I'm, I'm, no no listen i'm saying that in like a general term but the, these the articles that i read were like really sad they said yeah the the reality is that humans pretend like they're really nice but at the end of the day it's it's you know they re, they judge a book by its cover um sorry j just before we move on <clears throat> isn't the 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 hadza um native group didn't they also do a test with them on what was more attractive like facial features um sportiness like general athleticism or the ability to talk. Th wasn't you? Wasn't it you that told me about that, Tiago? Like the person that was the most capable in terms of telling a story and things like that, often were voted also as the most attractive no, by the by the I woman. Didn't, I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it was on like another podcast that I, that I heard that. But the idea was like, just like birds, you know, like you have uh, songs, like you, 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 the birds sing a song and they attract mates. They said that the same thing with humans might exist, which is you have a huge attraction to those who are the strongest, the most, the manliest and the most capable of defending females. But um, on the other side, you know, our ability to communicate and like our song was just as big a criteria in attracting uh, mates. And then they did that in, once again, they always take, you know, native groups and then they might compare it and then they go to like the real life um, examples and you think you look at like singers you know when you're a successful rock star oh my gosh you know it's it's phenomenal the following that they can get true so it's like yeah well that's like animals it's yeah you have a mating call etc yeah absolutely pretty interesting but if you're All successful right. rock star and good looking it's made way better <laughs> <laughs> hey didn't ronaldo this is this is bad he had a lot of plastic surgery done just his teeth i think he, he just fixed his teeth Huh, anyways. Okay. 
And Nick, what did you, well, what did you absorb? What did I absorb? <laughs> nice pun. <laughs> uh, no, so mine is going to be about alcohol consumption um, because we did we did have a previous discussion, uh, the three of us, about how um, our society, especially in in, in our countries. Um, push like there is a there's a bit of a peer pressure to consume alcohol uh, among friends at work and that it was a perfectly at least considered normal act um and that we were often consuming too much of it but that uh, it seemed to to fly and so um I, I read a study this week on the actual effects of covid had on alcohol consumption um and i mean they had a lot of hypotheses on you know the first one was okay. Since people cannot go, can no longer go to pubs and they're locked down at home, it must have decreased, right? Uh, and actually, some people went out and and surveyed people in the states and in the UK um, on their behavioral changes towards alcohol. And this is getting really interesting. Uh, and where it seems that before you would drink on social events, so you had a, I don't know. You went to the pub, you had a game night um, on yeah, Sunday, yeah. Um, you had brunch, um, an after-work drink, like whatever. So these were mainly what was driving the consumption. And right now, uh, they found out that people have actually not decreased their alcohol consumption. So people drink as much, if not slightly more, uh, than prior to COVID. The things that have changed, though seems that the drivers of that consumption are different. So it's no longer your friends or your family or your coworkers coercing you into drinking. Uh, it's, it's, it's an answer now to other factors, um, the main of which are stress and anxiety. So because COVID brought so many uncertainties into our lives and people are stuck at home, they're lonely. Um, I mean, there are so many socio-economical changes that have been happening to us in the past um, months or a year now. Uh, and so people have are coping with that anxiety by drinking. And so we've, yeah, seen, a, yeah, we've seen a surge of online sales, like people are buying much more booze um, from the grocery, shop, uh, the grocery store. Um, and so, yeah, the, they, were, they were looking at what is now driving. So we know that it's anxiety, it's stress. So what we could imagine are very negative influences in our lives. Um, and what they're fearing is that no one, no one is keeping that population in check. Um, yeah. Actually, South Africa banned alcohol during COVID. And I, I never, like, I didn't understand that, that decision for many months. But now that you speak about that, uh, it makes absolute sense why they banned alcohol to, to completely avoid this, this problem of trying to to calm down your stress and anxiety with alcohol during a, during a time like this. Okay, fun question. What would be worse, being locked down without access to alcohol, or having too much alcohol at home? Like, if if you if you think about yourself, like, would lockdown have been worse for you if you didn't have access to your you know daily beer? I only drink when I'm when I speak with you guys. That's oh, well, so that's a lot. Yeah, way to <laughs> way to push off the blame, eh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure you're there like sipping on mouthwash if you didn't have drinks at home, Tiago. <laughs> you know those alcohol-loaded chocolates that you get? <laughs> just melting them, just a mug full of it, <laughs> distilling it. I boil it. <laughs> um, 
I would say that I I, I don't think there's worse. Yeah, I I think um, what you're touching on is just if you're in a bad place, don't take anything like yeah. you know any kind of substance because you will turn to it. Um, I think uh, weed it's legal and it went from yeah illegal to just essential so quickly right now you know and and there is a there is a marijuana shop popping up everywhere on every corner and the concern there was also you know same thing it's like um just like alcohol if you consume a little bit it's fine but anything in, in excess is just downright terrible for you um and I, I guess covid you know if you look at what it's doing to depression it's such a difficult difficult situation I think what it would be like if I was alone in my apartment, not with my wife or whatever, how I would feel, especially if I lost my job. So I yeah. think saying one thing is worse than the other is maybe not the right way ever to look at it. Yeah, no, definitely. You, but I mean, you, yeah. you're putting your, your finger on something very important uh, is that the effect that alcohol has um, not only on yourself, but on your environment as well. I mean, we've seen a surge in domestic violence, not necessarily saying that it was related to alcohol or that alcohol caused it, but it must have been a contributor, I think. Um, you see that, you know, the, the tolerance you have towards your neighbors is decreasing as well. Again, not saying that alcohol was the main driver of that, but still. Um, and, and we also, like, they also found out, for instance, that a lot of uh, British households were drinking before going to bed just to get them asleep. Like, so you can, you get to a point where some people cannot go to bed without wow. a glass of brandy or a glass of whiskey. Uh, but that in the long term will affect your sleep, it affects your health. Um, and uh, what they really fearing now is that once we lift all this, because there will be an end to all of this, um, people will keep those association. Like your mind will be wired yeah. that, oh, shit, you're feeling stressed? Okay, like hit the pub or um, go grab your glass of whatever it is. Um, and that might have um, disastrous consequences. Uh, and right now, normally, you know, like when you walk into a pub or if you uh, a restaurant, you, you have some sort of prevention out there. I mean, you cannot sell to, um, to, to minors, for instance, you always have a um, somewhere written that alcohol is bad for you. But again, if you're at home, you don't have those safety nets. Yeah. You don't like, and so it's just so easy to 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 drown your sorrows and that, um, and that's what they're fearing. And they don't want a population post COVID that just turns to alcohol for everything. It's interesting because um, at the same time, I think it was on CNN. They had an article talking about how potato, the potato industry, took a huge hit during COVID because. Um, and, and this was last year because in the summer season, you know, everyone's out on bulk, uh, on verandas and stuff like that on ter uh, terraces. And chips is a big staple food item in every pub, bar, restaurant, no matter where you go, McDonald's, etc. And it's, I guess, odd, you know, and, and scary that the potato industry is taking a hit because pubs and everything is closed down. But you can still drink at home. You can still drink anywhere. And you probably just eat less. It probably makes it worse, right? You're eating less and drinking more. Yeah, that's uh, that's a scary point there. Um, so yeah, I, um, I don't know if you had any other remarks on what our future is going to look like, and if you see any additional driver or what we can do to prevent that from happening. Well, I, I I do have something to add to kind of what Tiago was saying before about South Africa having to ban it because um, alcoholism is a big problem there, as it is in many parts of the world. Um, but I, I remember hearing from in South Africa where the miners and, and a lot of these kind of 
large-scale industrial companies or any kind of blue-collar industries, they would release the wages on a different time. Like, they wouldn't release it on the weekend, you know, like, before they, they close out the month. They would try to release, I think it was in the beginning of the week. I mean, don't don't hold me to the point. But they would release it on, a, on another day where people would more likely take that money and go home. Because if they release it on the weekends and the guys might go out for like a drink or something and then they would blow their month's earning on alcohol. And that is truly terrifying. That is truly terrifying to be someone that you just you slip on that and you have this reliance on alcohol and you just can't control yourself. That's what's so scary. You know. And then people fight more on it. Um that that was one of the big things, wasn't it, Tiago? Like violence in the streets from fighting. And domestic um, violence as well. Yeah, domestic violence as well. Oh, yeah. Drunk driving was a big problem in South Africa g- growing up in high school. Um, it would be a very common thing um, for the, 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 the seniors, so like matrix, as we call them, grade 12, um, to, to, to drink and drive because that's when you are allowed to drink and also when you get your own license. And it would be a constant thing with the, with the high schools to constantly remind their students please don't drink and drive we know you're having fun especially in the more affluent schools where when you turn 18 you would get a car it was a huge problem and there would always be one death every year almost and it would just it would be very very sad but when you're in a place that has to drive and then you're in a place where they don't let you drink before 18 unlike in europe if i can make a comparison there you also don't have the experience to handle alcohol the same way you can't walk home so you kind of develop like a little bit of different kind of responsibility yeah, yeah okay. it's a very somber very somber note <laughs> <laughs> can you jolly it up for us Max? my topic for the week um is on the most successful pirate who was a woman which is uh, always a big just uh, juxtaposition to you know what um we would imagine pirates to be these uh, gnarly men missing teeth and uh, torturing people a lot of torture still happened in the piracy world, but the most fam- the most successful pirate in history was a female pirate in China, in the Canton region, so like the south of China. She actually married a pirate lord, I guess. You wouldn't call him a king per se, but he was, um, Ching Yi, Ching Yi um, was someone that managed to unite all the major pirate um, let's call them organizations for lack of a better word in the region and so he has this huge empire of of, of pirate ships and 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 sail and pirates etc and and she married him because apparently he was looking for someone with that business mind so she was very well known to be a shrewd business uh, businesswoman and so they married and um, i would just focus on the most interesting part of their lives you know just as headlines they married each other and uh, she immediately said, I want like equal rights to the piracy um, uh, organization. So they're called the Red Flag Fleet or the Red Fleet. Um, and she, you know, became essentially like kind of like a partner. And it was not that abnormal uh, to have women on the ships, unlike in the West, where they were seen as bad luck. So that's number one. They adopted a son who was a full grown adult, by the way. And um, I think that I, what from my readings is that the Cheng Yi, so the husband, was having some kind of relationship with the son. And this was not uncommon in China to adopt full-grown men for like this, for apprenticeships and things like that. So, you know, again, different kind of time and world. But this was in like the early 1800s. When her husband died, Cheng Yi, Cheng Shi then took over the, the pirate army and then became lovers with their adopted son as well. So that's, you know... 
great bunch of very straight straight shooting people to start with. The most she, common the most common search on porno stepmother. The, the <laughs> we should do an episode by the way about how much technology and how much bandwidth is used on adult content. It is shocking how much of the internet is made out of cats and and, and, and adult material. It, it, it anyways. Thanks Tiago. Um at the height of her power, she had almost 70 to 80,000 pirates under her command. And she had 1,800 or about 1,700 junks. So the junks are just, they're like ships, but they're, they're a little bit flatter and they can take like narrow waters and they were basically floating houses. So it's just wasn't, a different type of ship. Wasn't the Chinese <clears throat> government afraid of them or threatened by, by the pirates? Yes. Yeah, so it was the Qing Dynasty at the time. So, yes, during this whole period when she had all the, this huge army, they did send a navy out to fight them, and she beat them and then actually captured all of the ships. So she went out of that battle with more ships than she had going in. And then eventually the, um, the emperor got the Dutch, the Portuguese, and the British Navy um, to, to help them. Well, actually, the Dutch were mercenaries um, that they hired, and they actually came out to an amnesty. So... She accepted the amnesty. And basically, from that, from this huge pirate army, she walked away with, you know, all her riches. All her armies became uh, civilians at the end. No one actually got executed, and she negotiated a really good deal. And, and I just found the whole history of pirates really interesting, where she would protect a lot of the women and the children that they would capture. Um, and there are a lot of jokes in the writing, like if they were seen as unattractive, then they weren't maybe as useful, etc. Then they would like drop them off at the next port. If you had sex with any of your female prisoners, you would be killed. Um, if, and if it, even if it was consensual, both of you guys would be put down, uh, put to death. Put down. Um, and yeah, you could actually decide to marry. But then if you did, you were like obliged to take care of your, you know, your wife. And so there was this respect for human rights, which if you think back to history and what we think about pirates, it's, it's not the standard. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of examples of like really gruesome torture methods. I don't know if you guys are interested in that. Uh, yeah, well, feel free to share. They used to nail your feet to the, to the deck and then beat you. The creativity in in causing pain astounds me every time i read history um black beard um another famous pirate which is probably the mo most famous pirate even though he wasn't wasn't nearly as big as ching Shi. he uh yeah was it him or was edward lowe he um cut off the lip of one of the captains cooked and made him eat it apparently they, yeah, they came up with really gruesome ways in the piracy world. And what it sounded like was a lot of these pirates were just sick of society. And they took up a pirate ship or they took over ships and they were just waging war against the world. I, I don't know if there are modern equivalents of this. Can you guys think of something like that, like outlaws? Because the, the age of the outlaws seems to be gone now, no? Completely, dude. Unless you have the Somali pirates, but nothing to do with this. I don't know, maybe cartels, but I don't think cartels are very democratically... No. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so uh, happened to be a woman, um, started out she, before she married, she was a prostitute, um, became the pirate queen, basically took the amnesty, went out, uh, went back into the opium trading business and opened up a brothel herself. What an interesting life of a person, right? Uh, so, so the opium trade business, did, did they have land? Did they farm? Did they farm dope on that land? Or was she trading with someone? 
the unfortunate truth of that is the unfortunate history of that is a lot of the opium was flowing into China rather than from China or within China, and that was kind of where the whole war started, where China saw it as like a poisoning of the Chinese population by the colonial powers, and when they really one day decided to embargo and block it, that's when they took Hong Kong, because、um, they said, "Oh, okay, yeah, you don't want to buy our opium." Well, we'll just、uh, do a naval blockade, and then they,、uh, the British took Hong Kong after that, and that was the whole dirty history of why China sees, you know, these colonial powers as people who were trying to subjugate China through drugs, and it was called the the Big Plague. Yeah. So if you think about that, the people who were trading opium to Chinese people, you know, to an extent, they were all probably seen as the devil because you're selling drugs to your own people. Fair enough. Yeah. Quick question: What happened to all those? Pirates that were under her command because she took the amnesty. But what happened to like the thousands of of, of people that were under her command? Yeah, so apparently a lot of them turned, you know, turned into farmers. So they 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 took whatever wealth they had and they assimilated back into society.、Um, her second husband, who died, her、uh, who eventually died as as a pirate, I believe. He kind of、um, he took up some ships. Part of the amnesty that he commanded, and then kind of went on and and, and lived the rest of his life as a, as a naval,、um, uh, yeah, on the on the seas. And I'm not sure if he was a, if he carried on with some kind of piracy, but theoretically not. If he took the amnesty,、um, but he got a sweet deal. I mean, a lot of them took got a good deal out of it, you know, because they they were essentially a nation uh, among uh, you know upon themselves. Yeah, that was the that was the thing that the emperor couldn't do anything about it. It's a bit like the、um, Barbe- the the pirates in the Caribbean. That's how、um, the British、yeah. Empire dealt with them by offering them amnesty. But there is a lot of examples of that. Um, not you know the American War of Independence is, is it, it's just stories of people who were sick of subjugation to a monarchy, you know, to to a single power, to to, to a class system, right? Um, there was that Netflix show about pirates that you talked about, Nick, which was saying that democracy came from pirates because they were sick of people being born into power. Yeah, correct.、Mm-hmm. Um, and、Did、yeah,、it? if you look at the rules that that were dictating their behavior on ships, because you were mentioning Blackbeard, like Blackbeard has absolutely no record, like no recorded death to his name. He's never killed someone because it was his respectful life. That of course you had like battles and stuff, but he never killed someone if it wasn't necessary. What like, about this guy that he? What about this guy that he cut the lip from? Well, the thing is, like it, towards the end of his life, he got he turned he turned completely crazy because he was、um, suffering from syphilis, and because syphilis was not treatable at the time,、um, it would eat up your brain basically. So he. he Like he became completely bipolar and, and completely、yeah. crazy, but it's insane. Like the like piracy and and the rules. Like for instance, like the the distribution of wealth. Like each pirate on the ship would get a fair share of whatever looting they did. So it's kind of communism, right? But there was a there was a leader,、no. there was a captain. Exactly. But I mean, for, for instance, yeah. Well, for instance, they 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 really deeply ingrained the the idea of a vote. So if pirates on ship at some point were no longer happy with their leadership, they could vote the captain out. When you get voted out, do they kill him? No,、nope. they just, just they will just drop、it. you in the next、uh, in the next port, and you would,、uh, or you could even then stay on board as a as a as a normal as a normal crew. 
Well, it depends on what they voted you out for, right? They Fair probably enough. are examples. Fair enough. They... But I mean, the 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 the, the idea is still there. I yeah. mean, it's a democratic process. I did get it wrong, Tiago. He didn't cut the lip off. I got that mixed up with Ned Lowe, it's a different pirate, a notorious lover for 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 cruelty and for torture. Yeah, but I find Nick's point about the ailments and its change on 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 personality huge. There are so many examples of that in um, European um, in European history. You know, where like um, royal leaders got ill and then they just turn into maniacs. They turn into psychos after getting sick. In the example that I gave, you get to keep 20% of what you find and 80% goes back to the, the larger group. What I wanted to kind of touch on was the fact that the red flag fleet was the big one, but they were actually, they had to break it out into smaller armies. So there was like the white flag, the black flag and everything. Dunbar yeah. number, Max, because of Dunbar number. <laughs> yeah. Good one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but this huge army that used to exist in China, you know, controlled their own cities and every and, 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 and all of their own dealings, got given amnesty and they kind of walked away scot-free. You could, could not think of a better example of someone who kind of played their cards right, even in this violent world of per, uh, piracy and everything. Any other points you guys read this week? That's it? That's it. So far, so and good. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of What's the White Podcast. And we will see you next week. Thanks. See ya. Thank you. <laughs>